Welcome to the Lexington Public Library's Tales from the Kentucky Room podcast, where we discuss everything Lexington and Fayette County history. I'm Miriam, and in each episode of this podcast, we will feature a guest that will share a piece of local history. So thank you for tuning in and enjoy. On March 5th of 1964, a group of local civil rights activists organized a march with Martin Luther King Jr. in Frankfort, Kentucky. The purpose of this march was to call for the legislature to pass policy ending segregation and discrimination in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. As we approach the 60th anniversary of that march, we wanted to take the time to reflect on how much has changed and recognize that there is still a long way to go towards achieving the goals of that powerful moment in Kentucky's history. Here with us today are librarians Brenna Pye and Heather Pritchard to talk with us about the day Martin Luther King Jr. led the march on Frankfurt. Hi, Brenna and Heather. Welcome to the podcast. Brenna, I believe you've done the podcast before, and uh, so have you, Heather, right? Is this your first yes. Yes. first visit? Awesome. So today, of course, we have uh, Brenna Pye, librarian from Eastside, and Heather Pritchard, librarian from Tate's Creek, to join us on the podcast to talk about the march on Frankfurt in 1964 with Dr. Martin Luther King which was a pivotal moment in the civil rights history of Kentucky. They've both done a lot of research on the topic and have a lot to say, and I have a lot of questions, so let's get started. So tell me about what was the the civil rights environment in Kentucky? I'm sure it was very similar to how it was in the rest of the United States, but there are unique situations in Kentucky in the during the civil rights era that kind of spurred on the need for this march for a group of activists to invite Martin Luther King over. Yeah, I think so from my research, my personal research has been specific to Lexington. However, there was a similar sort of public accommodations and out the an outcry about segregated public accommodations in the 60s in the early 60s like 63 and 64 here in Lexington as well. So I think just in general around the country but in Kentucky in particular 63 and 64 were really I don't know if linchpin is the right word years for the civil rights movement and for desegregation specifically in Kentucky. And I believe there was a bill that they were trying to pass a civil rights bill and choosing to reach out to Dr. King and Jackie Robinson also came to bring them in to help try to bring people to Frankfurt and and get the votes to pass that bill, which unfortunately didn't occur then. It occurred in 1966 instead. Yeah, so there was a bill in the General Assembly, Kentucky, you know, House and Senate, that was languishing. From what I've read, it was mm-hmm. like languishing in committee. And it's interesting because I just attended an event uh, where we were talking about Kentucky politics and how the, and this was in the 60s, right? And we're talking about 2023, but maybe it's the same. The They number the bills uh, by priority. Um, so if something has a lower than, you know, whatever one through 10 priority, um, it's just going to stay in committee. So that's what was going on with this desegregation of public accommodations. Um, who was the governor at the time? Do you guys know? Breathitt? Yeah. Ned, uh, Edward Ned Breathitt. And he was young, I, I understand. 
And he did end up being named in Lyndon Johnson's presidency. He was, Mm. because of the bill eventually passing in 66, he was Mm. named to work with other governors to help the other Southern governors get on board and to make sure they were following the the civil rights legislation, you know, keeping with what they were supposed to be doing. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. It was something I thought that was very, very like moving and sweet about learning about the March on Frankfurt is that his 15 year, the governor, Governor Breathitt's 15 year old daughter Mm -hmm. participated in the March on Frankfurt and quote, I'd have to find it, but it was really sweet. And it seems sort of obvious. It was something like, you know, black people are human and it seems really obvious, but I think at the time it was probably a provocative thing. A provocative thing probably for a white 15 year old girl to say. (laughs) The governor's daughter, right? That's a big deal. Yeah. Yeah. It is a big deal. Who was behind the organizing of the, of the march? The local activists I'm talking about. No, it was a combination. So I know together they were called the Allied Organization for Civil Rights, AOCR. And among its members were the editor of the Louisville Defender. And he was the, that was like the black newspaper in Louisville at the time. His name was Frank Stanley Jr. And then religious figureheads in Louisville. And then Georgia Davis Powers, who was the first African-American and first woman to be elected to the Kentucky State Senate in 1967. She became really active. Like after this march on Frankfurt in Kentucky, she was also part of the uh, Selma March in Montgomery, Alabama. So Kentucky has, you know, really strong activist roots. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, and and of course, this march was kind of like an extension of the march that was on Washington the year before. But you, like I said, Kentucky has its own unique situations, and 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 these folks had specific goals in order to push legislation. But how did that translate to the streets of of not only Lexington but Kentucky in general? It sort of showed that organizing works, which is why the bill passed in 1966, right? There was this, and the idea that Kentucky, and I don't know, I'm just, I don't know if this is how people felt, but I can imagine like Martin Luther King was such a significant figure at the time and to be able to bring him to Kentucky. And one thing that I thought was really interesting doing research about this was I wasn't able to find, maybe you or Heather, like a transcription of his speech. But I'm from the newspaper articles that I'm able to find, some of his quotes are just really very powerful. Mm-hmm. Have you found anything? Um, one of the oral histories that I listened to, I did a lot of my research by looking for you know, primary source. So I went to the Louis B. Nunn oral history collection through the University of Kentucky Libraries. They have a really good link to uh, a number of oral histories. I did not have time to listen to all of them. Yeah, they're extensive. They are extensive. Yeah, Yeah. great resource. It really is. It's transcribed. It's indexed. It was a 
a really accessible way for me to find out but more about this subject. One of the people that I listened to was Sharon Mitchell, who is herself a librarian at Berea, I believe that's correct. And she discussed or it was pointed out that there is no uh, there was no recording of the speech and, and no transcription of the whole speech. People uh-huh. who were interviewed for the oral history, many of them uh, were talking about his length of t- his speech was about 45 minutes to an hour long. So it and it was cold and raining and, you know, March. Yeah. And their March was in March. Um, <laughs> but that. She has herself looked for, I think, recordings, and there's just unfortunately not one That's that she wild. had found. That yeah. is wild to me. That is wild um, to think because I mean there was a lot of journalists there covering. There's some photos. There's like yeah. you know mm-hmm. pictures, but no a, video. You know, assistance with him. Yeah. That's interesting. That's very interesting. So tell us a little bit about the the day of the march. Where did it start and what was like the agenda of, of the march? Yeah. So from an, interv- an interview with Georgia Davis Powers, who is one of the organizers of the 64 March on Frankfurt, it started in downtown Frankfurt. It was organized by the Allied Organizations for Civil Rights. And the march itself started in downtown Frankfurt. It was raining that day. It was raining, it was cold. And there were a lot of speakers, but sort of like the speakers that were flown in were the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and Jackie Robinson. And one of the reasons, and I think this is interesting to point out, one of the reasons that Martin Luther King Jr. was able, even knew about it is he was invited by his brother. Uh, his brother's name was A.D. Williams King, and he was a pastor at a church in Louisville and invited him. So we have the program for it. So also Peter, Paul, and Mary sang songs. So it was those were kind of like the big names, um, Peter, Paul, and Mary, Dr. Martin Luther King, and Jackie Robinson. So there were, let's see, five addresses, Jackie Robinson, Reverend Ralph Abernathy, who was famous in the civil rights movement, Mr. James Farmer, Reverend Wyatt T. Walker, who was from Georgia. And then they sang the Battle Hymn of the Republic. And then Dr. Martin Luther King spoke. And there was another address after that by a bishop from Louisville. Hmm. So it was a pretty long, That's I a think. Pretty, yeah, yeah, it mm-hmm. looks like, yeah. Was Farmer, was he involved with CORE? The Congress on racial equality. equality. I think that. Yeah, I think a lot of people don't know about CORE. CORE was active here in Lexington. Julia Etta Lewis, she was the president of CORE. And then Audrey Grievous was the vice president. Mm -hmm. And then Audrey Grievous was the president of the NAACP. And Julia Etta Lewis was the vice president of the NAACP. So they worked really well together. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It seems like a very heavy woman presence in the civil rights movement in Kentucky. Yeah, I I would agree with that. Yeah. Uh, people were coming from all over the state. There were about 10,000 people. Yeah. In all of the oral histories I listened to, in each one, they said, I'd never seen so many Black people together before. 
And it's hard, you know, it's something to take note of that, that it was the first time maybe they, they've recognized how big of a movement they are and how much they're not alone. Because if you're in a community, you're marginalized or the minority, how do you keep hope when you think you're the only person uh, working on this, this movement? And, and I, that that must have been important mm-hmm. and caused hope understanding that they they could get through this i of course there's still more to do <laughs> um one thing that i learned in watching these videos and reading is that the african american community in kentucky had after you know the civil war ended and they they created whole communities and schools and they weren't helpless. They weren't less than. They were human beings that needed to, you know, it's shocking to me how marginalized their story was even into up till right now, (laughs) that my understanding of a whole community can be predicated on my geography and my Mm my ability to interact with someone different than me. I think this is doing this exercise, learning about this has really taught me the importance of diversity uh, working in a, in a diverse environment because uh, I corrected some, some things that not that I thought or that I even believed, but that I had the way I had been shown it. If I didn't see it for myself, I would be way off target. And I think that that's, that's really important right now in a country that's so divisive in our political beliefs and, and our, mm, where there's fear uh, driving our beliefs rather than understanding there's a different way to do it. And I, I feel very comfortable that my learning about it has made me a better person it's enriched my life. I hope I take that with me. It affects how I interact with other people. Yeah, I think that's the whole idea of segregation, really, is to keep people from learning about one another. And, you know, like, Black people have these, like, self-sustaining communities because they had to. Absolutely. They had no other choice, you know. They, they were- didn't have the opportunities available. No, and- absolutely they, there was no, you know, there was no bank loan to, you know, they, they had to work together mm-hmm. to create their own destiny. <laughs> yeah. So, but I agree with you, Miriam, that is what segregation was about. And ultimately, um, and I have to find the quote, but what Dr. Martin Luther King says is that morally segregation is wrong. It is a moral mm-hmm wrong. And it is morally wrong for these reasons, because you don't learn community. Absolutely. Your black neighbors are just as much your community as your white neighbors. But if we're segregated, they're not your community. And I think that makes just regular people more susceptible to the larger forces, you know. Exactly. Because there's no community. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And community is important. (laughs) Yeah. I know that like a lot of us librarians tend to kind of 
you know, latch on to certain subjects. And once you start researching, you kind of go down a rabbit hole and, and it's hard to stop. But um, what spurred you, this research um, for you guys? Brenna, if you want to get start first, um, what motivated sure. you to, to search this, this podcast? Well, first and foremost, it was Heather suggesting talking about this. And secondly, I did my master's thesis about you know, African-American women in Kentucky in the 20th century. And so I did research on Georgia Davis powers and I just think it's really fascinating. One thing I think is really interesting being in Lexington is in Louisville, there is this, there's a lot of stories like this. You know what I mean? I don't know. It might be a provocative position. (laughs) No, 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 Uh, no. Go ahead. It seemingly is having like, researched history there's a in louisville there is a very strong community of black activism of black activists and that there is here in lexington and maybe it's just because it's smaller but definitely not at the level it is in louisville i have to say but so when i was doing my research i learned a lot about Georgia Davis Powers. And I'm fascinated about her career as what what I found so fascinating about her is that there's another woman, Black woman who was in politics in Kentucky. Her name was May Street Kid. And she was a businesswoman, you know, and other politicians are like, they're lawyers or whatever. Georgia Davis Powers was an activist. Like that was her job. Um, Yeah. Organizer, community organizer. Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And what about you, Heather? What what interested you in this in this particular subject? I think it was because I I'm so inspired by Dr. King's message of equality and that we're all if we're not all equal, no one's free. And I've really been, you know, meditating on that message as a parent, as I'm raising my, my one daughter who's getting ready to graduate from high school. <laughs> and just, I'm blessed to work in a diverse workforce, not as diverse as it could be, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I meet people and, you know, working as a librarian with every kind of person, I just can't ignore his message. And then I was actually mostly inspired and wanted to talk about a uh, letter from Birmingham jail. And then it was mentioned, hey, we he marched in Frankfurt in 1964. And, and we, we've been wanting to talk about that. So, you know, I'm gung-ho about researching things uh, if it's interesting. <laughs> it has been, you know, that I'm a librarian. I, so I just <laughs> followed it and, and researched it. This is not... These were not things that I learned about growing up um, in Kentucky. I'm in my 50s, so I'm a person of a certain age before I even recognize that that this happened, you know, that this march happened and that King uh, came to our state to help the activists that were trying to get this legislation passed for civil rights. So that, and I read, I have with me, a copy of the act that was, or at least a, a bit about the act that was passed in 66. The, this is according to the Kentucky Historical Society. It says the Kentucky Civil Rights Act of 66 prohibits discrimination in accommodations 
or employment based on race, national origin, color, or religion. And that's important. I mean, that's important to absolutely everyone. And I never, I had not really heard about it. And now we're, we're kind of in a, a political climate that's very divisive and these civil rights being civil to each other, despite our differences, um, it's being challenged daily. Exactly. You know, our way yeah. of looking at and respecting each other. Or even learning, learning about the history. Um, you know, people are seem to be threatened by the, such an important, I mean, we have to learn about it. I mean, growing up in, in Kentucky, in Lexington particularly, we learn about the civil rights movement in general, but we never learn about what happened here locally, what touched, you know, us, you know. I'm sorry. I find that fascinating, especially because, you know, I'm not from Kentucky, so I came here as an adult. You guys have to take like a Kentucky history class in high school, right? That's like a requirement. No, no. it's we, not. When I in fourth it, grade, I, fourth grade is <laughs> yeah. covered. Fourth grade, there is a unit on Kentucky, um, and I know that because my daughters anything. went through. No, they don't really. They talk about no. the settlers. They right. talk about Daniel, the yeah. Daniel Boone. Daniel Boone. About, yeah, yeah. They don't talk about. I graduated in 2004 mm-hmm. and we, in all of the social studies classes, history classes, even our AP, I took AP European history, so that doesn't quite, but even in <laughs> those, you got to like the civil war. And then like, if you were lucky by the end of the school year, you did a speed run through the 20th century. Mm-hmm. And so that made all of the things that happened more recently yeah. seems so far away and so nebulous because you just like touch on them. It's like, Oh, well this wow. happened. Like the fact that Ruby Bridges is like my mom's age mm-hmm. is mind blowing because we're taught that, you know, she existed long ago. She's this nebulous figure. And so mm-hmm. is Dr. Martin Luther King. You just don't learn about their humanity at all. Mm-hmm. And it makes their ideals. Well, in, you know, King's case and, so seems so far away, seem not grounded in our material lives, right? Mm-hmm. When it's it's everything, it's all around us. Yeah. Right. I mean, he might as well be King Arthur, right? You know, the <laughs> Camelot and the Round Table. You know, that's yeah. how it's presented is like, well, he stood for these wonderful things and then it's just left there. There's no talk of the fight of it, of how if you want these things, you have to work for them, mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. they're not just going to happen based mm-hmm. on our all of our the ways that our systems are set up. Right. So, Well, I'll, I'll interject that well, I graduated in the 80s, but my introduction to the civil rights movement was um, being given the book Black Like Me, which is actually written by a white person who colored their skin, you know, to... Or they took a chemical that like made them appear black. So I didn't get any um, primary source or, you know, I didn't get the voice of the people who were doing this change or making this change. I got it filtered even then through a white voice. And I can't say why it was done that way other than it might've been easier than answering hard questions. I mean, it, it, I guess it was supposed to give us empathy 
And that was an AP class too when we read that. And I, I guess it was supposed to make me try to consider myself, you know, uh, in the other's shoes. But why not let me actually, as a young person, learn to hear and learn to listen, actually listen to somebody actually going through this cultural change right. that needs to happen? Why do I have to hear it? Why was that filtered? a curriculum Why did I choice? have to hear it filtered through somebody just like me? Uh, <laughs> I can't answer that, by the way. But I mean, it's and I have to add also like, you know, I, a lot of the information I learned was as an, a librarian. It was, and I got had the privilege of working in a place like the Kentucky Room and doing this podcast. You know, we didn't learn about people like RCO Benjamin, you know, the, the lawyer that was shot in the back for or registering black people to vote. You know, we didn't learn about, you know, this 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 march until I until I had the privilege of working with Dr. Giles and collecting information for her and um, so it's it's it has been fascinating working in the Kentucky room to to learn about all this, you know, and, and or learning about incidents like the NBA basketball players that were kicked out of Phoenix Hotel and in, yeah, in the early 60s. Bill Russell's. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and that's a big that's a big issue, you know, that like nobody talks about that kind of stuff until, you know, something like after the black lives matter movement of, of last summer, um, you know, when the NBA players were protesting during that, that movement. And then Bill Russell came out and, and, and spoke of that, of that incident. And that's how a lot of people learned about it. You know, no, hardly anybody knew about that incident. And, and it was, it's a big scar on Lexington history for somebody of that stature, a group of, of men of NBA players, award-winning players to be kicked out of a hotel like the Phoenix Hotel. The march, I think, you know, wasn't arbitrary. We There was civil rights abuses here in Lexington and, and in Kentucky that needed, yeah. um, needed to be addressed mm-hmm. through legislation. People like to pretend it didn't happen here, that there wasn't anything that we need to address and think about. Of course, that's the case at all. I mean, why do you think that is? Why is there this idea of like, and I think people have that idea of Kentucky in general. Like Mm -hmm. there wasn't, there's this idea that, you know, let's take it even further back since that's what I know about (laughs) Mm -hmm. is, you know, there wasn't slavery here. Well, that's not true. Or, you know, I told someone recently, oh yeah, Ashland was a plantation. And they're like, what are you talking about? No, it wasn't. And I was like, no, yeah. You know, people don't even know about things like that in their own backyard. So I think it is part of our human nature to kind of cover up what, what makes them uncomfortable, you know, but it's, that's not a good way to address the maladies of, of society. <laughs> right. Yeah. I, I can't, I don't know why that is, but I'm, you mentioned that I was reminded of how it was after the civil war uh, that we kind of that Kentucky kind of adopted this folksy Kentucky colonel, you know, mm-hmm. identifying Southern specifically that it doesn't even make sense. Well, I don't know that it's all of you know. I've met people from Lexington who who really see themselves as Midwesterners, and I think that's mm-hmm. uh, the border state mentality, right? There's a lot of different influences, and Central Kentucky chose that influence yeah. to, as more identifying. I wouldn't say that you know 
Yeah. I think that's what's fascinating about Kentucky in general is it is this sort of a lot of different identities in one place. Oh, yeah. Multifaceted. I mean, they're oh, yes. It's, it's, multifaceted. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I'm from Western Kentucky mm-hmm. and I really identified more uh, Midwestern yeah. growing up. Mm-hmm. Part of the yeah. tri-state area, <laughs> <You know? laughs> Illinois, and Missouri, and and Kentucky, and yeah, yeah, it was a lot of cultural shock when I came to to Lexington, but I've enjoyed it enough to stay here. But I, I did want to mention I I worked with someone way back in my undergrad days and UK's libraries who. had been very active, a very active teenager. And so I knew from him that there had been, you know, there were activists and they did have lunch counter incidents Mm -hmm. and he was there Mm -hmm. and and part of it. And so so, people in Lexington are interested in what was happening here around that time and was part of the reason that the March on Frankfurt happened, there are the oral histories. Mm -hmm. There were significant civil rights leaders here, one of whom, her name was Audrey Grievous. Mm -hmm. There's a school named after her. There there are oral histories. There's videos that you can watch, KET, and Julietta Lewis. Julietta Market is named after her. And there were incidents. Audrey Grievous Mm -hmm. experienced assault around 1963 and trying to desegregate um, public accommodations here in Lexington. So I think all throughout Kentucky is what really led to the 64 March on Frankfurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And hopefully we, we continue to grow from that and learn from that and make better choices about, you know, how we treat people that are different from us. Um, thank you so much, Brenna and Heather for coming on the podcast to talk about this important note in, in Kentucky history. And I hope you guys come and join us again. I really love having you guys here. Thank, thank you. you for the opportunity. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Tales from the Kentucky Room, a podcast brought to you by the Central Library's Kentucky Room staff at the Lexington Public Library. If you enjoyed listening, please take a minute to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts and Stitcher. If you have any questions about local history or genealogy research, you can visit us in the Kentucky Room to use our collection and newspaper microfilm. Or you can email us at elibrarian at lexpublib.org. That's elibrarian at lexpublib.org. I'm Miriam, and we'll be back with another trip down Lexington's memory lane.